From the birthplace of modern recovery, Akron, Ohio, welcome to Rock and Recovery. Recovery Talks, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories and amplifying the voices of those on the front lines in the recovery movement. Our commitment to you to always deliver straight up sober talk with the sincere promise of a safe, stigma and judgment free zone. Recovery Talks right now all right so you know what today's guest is christina strong hey christina how are you doing today welcome to recovery talks the podcast hey friend thanks for having me on i'm really really excited about having you on i mean um we know each other through kind of being in the recovery community in northeast ohio but i also know you as a singer songwriter um with an incredible voice and an incredible voice and what i mean by that is not just the singing voice is the voice that you use when you write songs. And I think we're, we're also involved in some of the other community groups to go into outreaches and take music into places, um, which we obviously can't mention, but you know, it's, it's really, really nice to have you here, you know? So um, today, this show, this podcast is talking about, you know, people like me, just average drunks who somehow made their way into the light you know, and somehow are, are, you know, able to communicate that message and try to do some sort of meaningful work in the community. So what we try to do with this podcast is lift the lantern on people that are making it and show positive examples. So in order to do that, we all have to qualify ourselves, don't we? We all have to talk about what it was like. So tell me to start this off. Tell me about the Christina that was the Christina before Christina got sober. Well, let me tell you about her. I think um, even when I was little, before any kind of mood or mind-altering substances, um, I had a bit of an issue. You know Mm. what I mean? Like when I can look back at like nine or ten years old, I would um, react to things differently. Um, And uh, then when later on came and I put mood and mind-altering chemicals in my body, yeah, I think that's that's so true with all of us, isn't it? I mean, there's that moment where we we find that first thing where we go, wait a minute, I feel like I belong here with something. Something struck a chord where you kind of felt for a short period of time, you felt okay. And then that started us down the path. But what happened after that, after the first start? What was your first using experience? Tell me about that. I'm curious. Oh, okay. So that's, that's fun. I uh, was 12. And I stayed the night at my girlfriend's house, which I did often. My parents were both in um, programs, Mm. um, 12 programs. So it was a little stricter at my house. So I would go away. Mm. And um, I knew the mom would go and do her daily and nightly thing. I just didn't know exactly what it was, but she came down in a different mood and smelled differently. And uh, I told my friend, I said, ask her what she's doing. See if she'll... uh, you know, see if she'll share. I mean, who talks like that at 12? But I did. And uh, I talked my girlfriend into it. And yeah, the mom shared. Wow. I was little. I didn't know what it was exactly, but it was, you know, it was dirty. And um, I thought it was a bug that we were getting into. I don't know if I can say this. Yeah, say whatever you want to say, because you know what? This is the magic of podcasting. We can always cut it out. But I don't think we're going to need to with this because we both agree we're going to be real and honest and tell the truth here. So go ahead. She came down and stated that this was a roach. 
Mm-hmm. But at 12, you don't know what that means. Right. right. So you, you're smoking those left-handed cigarettes then, girl, right? Those jazz cigarettes. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually my first experience too, uh, not to interrupt, but I remember uh, being at McDonald's and being in the summer between like seventh and eighth grade and being there because McDonald's was the hang, right? What do you, what do you do? What do you do? And I had patches on my jeans and, you know, some people came over and like, dude, you want to, you want to go get turned on? I'm like, wait. And I kind of pretended like I knew what I wanted. And, the, and this friend of mine said, you don't know what it is, do you? you? You've never been turned on. And I'm like, well, no, I don't. So we went over to the park, typical, like hippies. I must've been a guy with a big natural haircut named Frisbee or something, right? Who had a van, right? <laughs> right? Was it with some carpet on the inside and a little bent and stuff? And we went over there and I can remember thinking, whoa, what's happening here? You know? And, you know, I tell people a lot that there were three stages to my using. The first stage was, this is great. You know, the second stage was where it was kind of like, you know, what just happened? Kind of consequences started up. And of course, the third stage was me down on my knees with the devil's breath going, you know, please help me. You know, so where did it go for you after after that? What happened next? I enjoyed that. I mean, like I said, I was young, but I enjoyed it. I remember um, thinking to myself you know, wow, like I don't have to think about the D on my report card or my parents maybe fighting or anything like that. I just like laughed. I laughed at how my belly moved while I laughed. You know what I mean? <laughs> like innocent like that. And of course, being in the family that I was in, it didn't take off quickly. But around uh, 17, 18 is when I was able to get into the bars. Mm. And um, I lived um, close to a street called Fifth Street, where it was just lined with bars. And, um, you know, I I was a very insecure, shy, the complete opposite of who I am today. Mm. Um, I wasn't able to speak around people. And then so when I was able to go to these bars and drink and uh, become friends, uh, it, it felt like home. Like I was able to just walk into the bar and, and have my drinks and uh, they would say, What's up, Crispy's here. They call me Crispy. And um, I drank in kind of like, um, not a gentleman's bar, but you know, it was mostly men, uh, real world workers and uh, bowling. They asked me to be on the bowling team. And it was fun like that for a while. Right, right. You felt a part of something, right? It was a new world that opened up to you where you felt acceptance. Because for me, when I was growing up, I was always so self-conscious of like, I had body issues, which I'm sure if I look back now, I go like, really? You thought you were heavy? You were a rail, you know? But I had this really, really bad self-talk going in my head that I just was less than everybody else. So when I began using substances and I found other people that did that, I was part of something. And I all of a sudden felt that acceptance that I hadn't yet really felt except for playing athletics for a very short period of time, being part of a team, you know? Mm -hmm. But even then it was, my voice was telling me, you're not good enough. You're not quite as good as everybody else. You're not, the confidence issue was going on. I was called olive oil. They, um, Oh, because you were so skinny? Because you're so skinny? And lurpy, yeah, and they lined my locker with like toilet paper to like, you know, to right, stuff right, your bra. right. Stuff your bra. 
the level of, of, of self-awareness that we had back then when we were growing up, I think really, you'll, if you talk to a lot of addicts and alcoholics, I mean, all teenagers feel that certain level of self-consciousness, right? But I just think that, you know, what the difference was is that we found something that set us off the main highway onto the dirt roads pretty early in life. And it was just never, there was never really a way back. You know what I mean? And even though in the first part of my using, I could maintain pretty well, there was like party time and then like go to school time, right? Or like go to work time. And there was really, there's those were separated, you know? But as I went through the years, obviously that, that separation, those lines were kind of blurred, you know? Um, moments that you can't forget. Every time I talk to another person who's in active recovery, they'll always look back and go, wow, if I could go back and, you know, talk about some really messed up stuff that I, I'm not still not comfortable with, even after all the self-forgiveness practices we go through, you know, this is one for me. I can think of probably five right now that I could talk about, you know what I mean? You know, but is there anything you want to share for the podcast? Audience? Yeah, there are. There's a lot of moms that I work with, um, and that's a that's a struggle to try to get sober and remember like what you were like. I was a young mom, and I didn't stop right away. So right. I think when my son was about two uh, or three, but there was a moment where I had maybe a few weeks of like clarity, some sobriety, if you might call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family was over. We were at my mother's. My nephew was there, my brother. And uh, I stuck my hand in, in uh, my pocket. I don't know. And I found like 10 bucks. <gasps> right? And immediately, because I had no kind of defense against that first thought, um, it became this massive trigger. And I was like, sick. And my brother was like, what are you? T-? I said, I got to go. To go. He's like, what, what are you talking? You know, he wanted to like shake me. He's like, what? I said, he's like, your family's here, your kids here. He's like freaking out. And uh, I, I, there was nothing I could do. It was like gone. And my mind was gone. I was ready to like puke. And this was the moment where when I got sober again, they told me that, of course, you're not going to bring me anywhere. I have to walk. So I walked out the door and my mom had these like bay windows in a way. And, uh, my son had his hand up against the window the whole time. My mom said, even when I turned the corner, he did not leave. And he just was like waiting for me to come back. Wow, those are, those are such powerful moments for those of us in recovery. And I, I, I don't think that no, no matter what anybody says about how you know, we tend to want to believe that we are self-elevated through long periods of sobriety those moments still take us down to our knees they do they still take us down to their knees and i could share a couple with you and almost always i share that whole concept it was the kids it was the things about the kids that i still to this day you know what i mean just bring me to my spiritual knees when i think about it you know but you know what i will tell you is that that in, in a lot of us as we get involved deeper into programs and get self-help and get chemical dependency counseling, we learned that, you know, we, we do those amends processes, right? And we, we, we do the best we can to pay that bill to our kids. And, you know, it's like a gas bill. We're not going back to 
November of 2017 and paying that gas bill again, are we? You know, we just got to make sure we've paid that bill. And once we've paid it, we're ready to move on. And we have to remember, we paid that bill. We've mm-hmm. done that. And we don't live that way anymore. And I, I, I can remember learning the phrase, you know, I'm really sorry that that happened. I'm really sorry I behaved that way, but I'm not doing that anymore. And that changed everything for the way I was able to talk to the people in my life that I cared deeply about, that I had felt like, you know, you know, so was there for you, as there is for a lot of us, what I call the circling down the drain moment, that like, where it comes, I'm heading down. And you kind of feel like you're in this windstorm of like, I can't stop it. And I know where this is ending up. There are several in my existence that I can think of heading into, you know, treatment at St. Thomas in June of 2014 was a game changer for me. And that was absolutely circling down the drain. It was going to, that was it for me. I was flushing down, you know, tell me about yours. What, 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 what comes to mind for you? I mean, um, when I think back on moments of like, clarity and, and, and seeing myself circling down the drain. I, I think of times where, um, you know, I'm sitting there on the couch in this, you know, like trap house and it's got urine all over it and the blankets are stapled <laughs> to the window. I'm laughing because I'm thinking about some of the people we hung out with like, no, no, it's cool. These people are cool. They're cool, right? They're cool. No. They weren't cool. There was nothing good about that, but no. please continue. So, you know, you're, you know, I'm sitting there in, on this couch and like these blankets are stapled to the windows and um, I haven't eaten in probably three weeks, you know. Uh, <laughs> and it's a little thing. I mean, I always say this because I've stayed about the same weight, but I weigh like 145 pounds right now and I came in at 89. Wow. Yeah, so I, I really didn't eat. But then I remember um, this girl coming in and into this house and one of um, the men there literally pistol whipped her in front of all of us. And I, I'm i like, what am I, what am I doing? What am I doing? Like I'm starving, this girl is about to die. We're probably all gonna go to prison now. Um, and I would think about my family my kid is probably, you know, spiritually, right. you know, right. screwed up from this. You know, like, what are they doing? Wow. I still relate to that. I'm just thinking of a story of of one night after a gig. My thing was, you know, after a gig, I would never drink during gigs, right? But I would be the guy that would be like standing there on the stage going, no, no one more, no one more, no one more, no one more. Because I wanted to get home and drink, right? I needed to pack up. If we could play it at one, I need to hurry up and pack up because I got to get to the bar because the bar's going to close. You know what I mean? And there was a stops that I had, right? And I can remember being in the stop, right? And drinking a bunch, like really, really fast and talking to this guy next to me who convinced me to do something really stupid, really stupid. And I'm thinking, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. And we got in my car and thank the universe, the higher power, whatever. Somehow I got stopped by the Farallon Popo because I was driving a little too fast and he let us go. And it was like, 
I don't know what would have happened with this crazy character that I was in the car with, but I turned right around at the found the first day's gas station and said, get out, get out, just get out of the car. You know, and that was another one of those moments like, what are you doing? What are you yeah. doing here? You know, this is not who you are. These are not the judgments you would make, you know? So I guess this all brings us back to the big question, right? So you knew, right? You're there, you're sitting on the on the couch in the room with the crazy characters, right? And you know, I mean, is that when the light went on for you? Or yeah. did, how did you get how did you get from there? I guess the next thing is how did you get from there into the first few steps of abstinence? And because abstinence, as we all know, you don't get well until you go into total abstinence. It just yeah. doesn't happen. There's no like, oh, I can I can still drink one. Or you know what? I, I won't drink that dark liquor because that stuff makes me crazy. I'll just drink vodka. Or I won't drink with that guy because he's crazy. You know what I mean? Or I won't go to that bar. You know, so when did you find that moment where you, the light went on and you said, okay, it's got to be nothing. It's got to be nothing. It was that moment. I uh, I did practice those things for years. And what I left out is that um, I, I entered into a fellowship, into a 12-step program, probably around 1999. Mm. So from 99 until about 2006, I came around. Right, right. I would go late, leave early, didn't um, make friendships, didn't uh, talk about what I was feeling or anything like that. You know, um, there were a few people that I made small connections with. And I think with having that, those seeds planted, which you don't even know they're being planted because you're off on planet Neptune. Right, so, right. You don't even realize they're being planted. And the things that you're hearing are really sticking with you. Mm. But it's only until you get that moment of, uh, you know, real sobriety or real um, clarity that you can see that the seeds were planted. So I had seeds planted and I also had a lot of trauma. There was a lot of trauma. Right. You know? So the universe was telling you, yo, wake up. Yeah, I think with the combination of of all of those things, seeds being planted, trauma, and you, you finally had this moment where you're like, what? And I immediately picked up the phone and called some of those people that had been in my life for right. in and out for seven right. years. And right. always, they were always there. It did not matter how much damage I did because they were me mm. and they had love and tolerance. Yeah, and I, I picked up the phone and said, listen, I need help again this time. It's for real. I for real mean it. But I, you know, I really did. You never know when somebody's like for real moment is. So like never give up. I don't think we can ever really describe to people that aren't in a program of recovery or haven't been through the depths of, of addiction, what it feels like, you know, and somebody asked me once, dude, What's it really feel like? And I, and I use this analogy, which seems to resonate with people. I said, remember when you were a kid and there were hills you'd run down and it was a lot of fun. You're running down the hill, I'm running down the hill, it's fun. And then there's that moment you're thinking, wait a minute, I'm going a little too fast. Wait, I'm not, I can't stop myself. And you know that there's that moment where it's gonna be pretty much face meets dirt right and you know it's coming i said that's what it feels like to be out of control 
to not be able to control yourself anymore. That running down the hill when you're seven, as fast as you can, and it's fun until that last moment where you realize, nope, there's no stopping here. Face dirt. That's the only way out of this is face dirt, you know? So that's awesome. Thank you so much. So I think you're going to play a tune for us. Will you tell us a little bit about the tunage we're going to hear? Because this is the this is the part I've been waiting for, is to hear your, hear your voice, man. You know, because, you know, um, what, what the podcast audience doesn't know is that when we, we talked a little bit yesterday, I played Christina one of my new songs. And for a songwriter, um, there's only... I think it's really difficult to explain what it's like to play music one-on-one to people. You know what I mean? And I just want to thank you again for the kindness and the comments you made about, about that song yesterday, which hopefully will be out someday, a song from my father. But let's hear it, man. Tell us about the song you're going to play. Tell us about the music. I made it uh, in, in, in quarantine. Isn't that funny? <gasps> was the quarantine tune? That's awesome. I was kind of low and feeling like, like you stated before, change your diaper, Chris. Change your right. diaper. I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I was there and I'm like, I'm going to change my diaper. And I, you know, I was doing gratitude lists and I was doing the Zoom meetings. I still am. And, uh, you know, yeah. FaceTime and I, I talk to my people and uh, I read and I just keep trying, you know, I'm just down. And mm. so, I was thinking, why don't I think about one of those chromatic times? Maybe that'll put a little pep in my step. And I remember the one time I was at one of those home, that house, that trap house, and I remember thinking to me, saying out loud, like, I, I need to go home. And uh, he said to me, to see, your, to see your daddy? And I was like, wow, what is he talking about? And he said, he pointed to uh, the substance and he said, that's your daddy now real cocky you know and I remembered that and so I wrote a kind of like a song about it and uh you know it's called 24 because I gotta stay in the 24 sometimes I gotta stay in like the 10 minute realm but I gotta stay grateful for today I can easily be back there and when push comes to shove and when life is pushing and pulling I just have to be grateful for today we're getting ready for an awesome song by Christina Strong called 24. My daddy don't live here anymore Shot him in the back, walking out the door Tried to keep me down But I'm unstoppable Yeah. <laughs> 
That's awesome, man. That is so great. What a great song. Your voice sounds so good. So, so cool. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That I was just like, I don't know if you could see me, man. I was just rocking away over here. I'm like, oh, I forget. I'm like, I gotta be hosting this thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Super scary. So I'm like, oh, I was like, whoa. You know, this is just, you know, as we head down the stretch with the the wrapping this up, you know, I I, I like to talk you know, about, you know, what our lives are like, you know, after been through, you know, the wars and getting through that, that first early part, you know, the, just the, the first few miles, right? And for me, it was the summer of 2015. And, and I just remember, you know, I was making this massive transition from my old life of being in the corporate world as an executive wearing a suit and and to the place where I, I knew I wanted to be, you know, but I had to change everything, right? People say, well, you know, what's the thing you had to change the most? And I went, mm, everything had to change, you know? So that first year was really tough. And you were still struggling with your brain not working right, you know, because when you're in early abstinence, you know, and I, I, I suggest for people that don't understand what it's like to be in early um, recovery, to read anything by Nicole labor uh one of the local and one of the i think one of my gurus about you know the science of addiction what's going on in your brain is you're really trying to go from you know your brain starting to try to work again you know and my brain just didn't work it was you know i had you know you know hyper sensitivity you know i was i was you know 
mood-wise, I was up and down. I have some real cognitive memory disorder issues, you know, where I just couldn't remember anything. I just, you know, my brain just didn't work anymore. And that whole summer was really tough for me. Tell me a little bit about, you know, the first few miles for you when you were walking the sober path. What was that like for Christine? Um, you know, I, I, I had a young child, so that was that was a lot. So mothers, stay strong, please. You got this. Um, and I had a lot of help. You know, it takes a village. So I had a lot of help with that. Um, that was kind of like, I think, uh, a big struggle, too, was just learning how to take care of myself and, and a child. So I like to talk about that a lot because I know a lot of new sober moms. And we never think we're doing good enough. But just being present there with them is everything. Um, and, and so I, because my brain was not... It was just not well, like you talked about. I couldn't really read a whole heck of a lot at that point in time. So what I did is I just got super active. And um, I helped out this like hangout place where we could go and hang out. Um, uh, sober members of the community could go hang out and, and right. kind of, you know, play some music. You know, um, pool is, is uh, sometimes a trigger to people, but sometimes not. And that was like something that they had there for us. They had games and they had a little snack bar and things like that. So I went in there um, and helped. I helped uh, paint the place and clean it up and get it ready. In the meantime, I did not know that I was starting like a gathering um, of a meeting in a way. Mm -hmm. I had a girlfriend that would come over on her lunch break and because I had such a hard time reading important things. I said, why don't we sit down and read this together? Right. On your lunch break, I'll make you some food or something. And then that turned into my other girlfriend coming over because she wanted to read. And then my other girlfriend coming over. And then this just little community started of women. And um, my sponsor at the time said, why don't you, uh, why don't you make this kind of open for women? And and that's what happened. And uh, it's been going for 14 years. You know, for people that are, are not involved in a 12 step program, the word sponsor can be best interpreted by saying trail guide. You know, they're the person that kind of like goes, oh, you know what I mean? Here's the path. You know what I mean? Let's walk on the path. Oh, 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 watch out for that ditch. Oh, oh, told you about that ravine, didn't I? And so really, you know, there's a lot of things that are, that are you know, obviously part of the 12-step program that, you know, that we have to have respect for. But, you know, I think working with others in, in trying to get over yourself and realizing that that magical, I don't know what it was for me, but you know, my moment of clarity came for me in, in St. Thomas Hospital where I was at probably about the fourth or fifth day and the phenobarbital was wearing off. And I can remember having a discussion with another person and they turned to me and said, you know, Mark, thank you, you really helped me. And I walked back into that little room there that they had where they had the TVs and it was almost time for almost time for us to, you know, turn off the TV. And I heard that voice and I don't know if it was on the higher power. You know, I don't talk about, you know, the G-O-D word very much, you know, on this podcast. I think that's a very highly personal thing. But I just remember thinking something just said to me at that moment, you know, you never could get sober because you never did anything to help anyone else. And in that moment, I made a decision that if I could stay sober, I would commit myself to working specifically as a volunteer at St. Thomas Hospital, which I've done up until the COVID-19, you know? And when I got that call that I wasn't able to do that again, that was a big adjustment for me. I had a really, really tough time. But 
I think part of finding your tribe is that subtle interaction that comes with going to a gathering, whatever that means to you. I mean, that could be, you know, a 12-step process. That can mean hanging out at the gym with some other like-minded people. That can go to a coffee shop where people read spiritual stuff together. It can be anything, but, you know, you've got to find the sober badasses. You've got to. And people ask me like, well, you know, I'm like, how did you get to be such a good guitar player? I'm like, well, when I was a young kid, I wanted to find out the old dudes that had gigs, that had the Les Pauls, that had the amps, that had the, how do you, how do you do that? How do you do that? So sobriety to me is the same thing. You've got to find the people that have it, that know how to do it, that got the skills and hang out with them. I call them the sober badasses and find the badasses, you know? So, um, you know, just to, to kind of start wrapping this thing out. I mean, uh, I like to ask this question, you know, there's a bunch of questions I like to ask when, when we get through it. What would, what would the, the now the sober, the, the, the living in recovery, Christina want to say if she could take, a step through like a, a magic door and talk to the non-sober Christina, what would she tell her? What would she say? I'd have to beg and plead with myself because I'm so hard-headed. But um, I, I would try to convey that this life that is cu- coming, you'll get it. But you've, you've not seen anything yet. It's like something that I couldn't even imagine. And I would try to put that into some words for myself because it's it's like trying to explain a computer system to a squirrel. I wouldn't have, I just didn't get it, but I would love to be able to let myself know that yes, sobriety is not always a cakewalk. Man, just because I got sober doesn't mean everything is cool now. I mean, I had a father who died a horrific death. I mean, is it by semi? I never would have thought that I could have gotten through that, but I did. And gracefully through my tribe. But listen, you know, I just want to thank you for being, is there anything else you want to say? I mean, is there any final comments you want to wrap it up somehow? Something you want to say? Really, honestly, it's really, it's it's my honor and my privilege to have you. You know what I mean? It really is. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, to the rest of our listeners, thanks for hanging out with us, you know, for this edition of recovery talks, the podcast. And to stay tuned for Rock and Recovery for more episodes with more guests as they share their journey from the darkness to the light. And until then, stay standing, stay sober, and steady on. Hi, I'm Garrett Hart for Rock and Recovery. It's the nightly radio show that offers upbeat rock songs and inspirational messages for people in recovery from addiction, trauma, and mental health disruptions. It's for families and friends as well. Rock and Recovery is broadcast every night, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern at 91.3 FM in Akron, Ohio, and at 90.7 FM in Youngstown, Ohio. The show can be heard at thesummit.fm. You can also listen to Rock and Recovery on our 24-7 radio channel, streaming at rockandrecovery.com. We've got a free app for your phone so you can listen anytime, anywhere. Everyone needs a little R&R. Rock and Recovery. Recovery rocks. Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks. When you bring in something positive that's sensory and imaginative and playful, 
people tend to be able to struggle with the issues in a more fun way. Dr. Kathy Malchioti is an art therapist who helps patients use images when words can't describe their feelings. Some of the simplest things will help reduce the stress. And that can be just helpful to everybody who's having some kind of a challenge. We do know that just doing some drawing two or three times a week, 15 minutes at a time, just doodling anywhere you want to doodle on scrap paper or whatever, it actually reduces stress hormones in our body. So that can't be a bad thing. Hear the full interview and learn more at rockandrecovery.com. This has been a Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks.